Today on Lockdown Canadians, it is the Friday mailbag, and we talk about the Montreal Canadiens defensemen and are any of them expendable. That's coming up on today's Lockdown Canadians. You are Lockdown Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 917. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. My name is Laura Saba, also known as the Active Stick, and I'm not joined today by my wonderful co-host Scott Matlove, Habs Eyes on the Prize. In fact, I've been flying solo for a couple of days uh, while he's been traveling for work. However, some good news, he will be back next week. Uh, he might do the Monday episode solo, or we might do one together. We still haven't figured that out, but I am going to be so happy to see him back. Um, and also, on a very, very quick programming note, well, not a programming note as much as a, uh, a social media note, I guess. If this channel hits 3,000 subscribers, we are not that far away. Uh, before puck drop on the NHL regu regular season opening night, uh, then Scott is going to eat another very gross thing on a live show. Uh, also, another programming note, we are going to be doing a couple uh, more live shows. Uh, those tend to happen usually on a Friday night. We like to hang out with you. We'll, we'll do a live show. We'll often have a guest. We've got a charity one coming up with my friend Megan. Uh, we have, you know, if, if we hit 3,000 subscribers, Scott's going to eat something gross. I have a Montreal-themed one. I'm just trying to get some ducks in a row for that one. It's going to be really exciting. It'll be kind of a guide, uh, kind of, you know, something something that's, Montreal related, but not necessarily Habs related. Um, and those are all live episodes that you can expect as we get into, as we get closer to and into the regular season. Um, we're just going to keep bringing you as much content as we possibly can. In the meantime, today is the mailbag episode, and I will start with a piece of news. Well, a question that is related to a piece of news from our good friend Goalie Droid. Uh, and if you see me looking down, it's because I've saved some of the questions on my phone. I've saved some of them on my computer. I've got all the questions saved. Uh, and also some of these questions are ones from last year. Uh, not last year. Oh my God. Uh, from last week. I did do a mailbag episode. It's episode 912. Um, and I was not able to get it together. Like I had some internet issues, all of that. Um, and then it just got stuck. And so what I'm just going to do is I'm going to re-ask those questions in today's episode. Um, and then uh, for to make up for episode 912, we'll come up with something fun or funny. And I, I do apologize. That is 100% my fault and my tech issues. I actually almost let fired the house. So um, uh, anyway, we'll start with Goalie Droid's question. And that is, is it possible to have too many people at a training camp? Also, is Weidman's injury, Weidman, is Chris Weidman's injury a Vegas-inspired attempt to free up cap space on D or get under the cap? So the Montreal Canadiens announced today on the day that we are recording this that the uh, that Chris Weidman is out indefinitely with a back injury. And that's tough. That is really, really, really tough because that's something that you... A, is very hard for a player to come back from, especially a player at his age. But also, 
he's a guy who's trying to fight his way back into the lineup and be part of the Montreal Canadiens. And this is such terrible timing for that. But a couple of people brought that up. They're like, oh, is something sketchy going on? I'll be really honest. I don't think so. <laughs> but it is, you know, it is suspicious timing. They're, they're, this, like, this is not just goalie droid asking the question. There were a bunch of people talking about it and saying this is this this timing is is, is very, very coincident, not coincidental, convenient for the Canadians. I don't think so. As for the question, is it possible to have too many people at a training camp? The Montreal Canadiens invited 72 people to training camp. Obviously, there are a lot of Laval Rockets so that they could practice and play with the NHL players. The Laval coaches are there as well, helping. And then there are a couple of people who are unsigned um, and, you know, some invitees. And I think that the optimal number of people for a training camp is somewhere in that range to be honest it is a lot of people it's a lot to follow but as you you know as as time goes on and as preseason games happen people get released people get cut people get assigned to Laval so you want to start with the maximum number of people you want to start with the maximum number of bodies and also this is really key you don't want any Canadians getting injured starting in the preseason um so if you have a lot of people you kind of have that flexibility but now you don't have uh Chris Weidman I almost called him Dennis Weidman uh, so you won't have that right now. Um, and that kind of reduces a little bit of your flexibility, but not too much because the Canadians have an abundance of goalies, defensemen, forwards. They've got a lot of people right now. They need to cut some of the fat. Um, and that kind of brings me to another question. It's not training camp related, but it is kind of a preseason, a timely preseason question. And that is from our really, really good friend, Blaine Potvin, um, and honestly, from um, like day one, uh, Blaine has been such a wonderful friend to the show. And I really, 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 really want to thank you. Um, and obviously, I want to invite you to come back to the show at some point really, really, really soon, please. Um, I know our listeners would love to hear from you. And I always have a wonderful time have, like just, you know, hanging out with you guys on your podcast. Please, please, please uh, come back. Anyway. Blaine asks, would you rather get a top three pick in 2024 or see Montreal's young players take a major leap forward in development this season? And a couple of people responded with, why not both? I think it's possible to have both, but I think what Blaine is getting at is, do you want the Canadians to sacrifice a draft position in order to maximize the experience of their young players and really give them that shot to become um, or to attain that potential that they have. And I have to say, uh, I think right now in the year 2023, in the 2023-2024 season, I would rather see the draft pick. Um, I know we're getting impatient. We want to see the flashes of future and the brightness. That sound you just heard was me adjusting my Apple Watch. Um, and we want to see it. We want to see them take a step forward. It's been a couple of seasons where we haven't really had that many bright spots other than the fact that the Canadians are in a rebuild and they're going to get a, you know, better draft position. Um, and we're going to be able to, you know, see the future at some point, people are getting impatient and I totally get that. And I also want to see a step forward. Uh, but if it's between getting a top three pick um, or a step forward, I would rather the top three pick, assuming they're going to do the right thing with it. Assuming they're going to make a splash with it, they're going to take a high risk with it. Otherwise, there's no point. I'm willing to go with a, with a seventh round. Oh, sorry, a, a seventh overall, eighth overall, tenth overall. If the Canadians are not going to really swing for the fences with that pick, then I'd rather see the um, 
uh, some of the young players take a major leap forward in development? Thank you for that question, Blaine. Um, and finally, for this segment, this is not the end of the episode, for this segment, my friend Megan asks, do you think the players who don't get named captain or alternate captain are annoyed about it? And would they storm into Marty's office to complain about how unfair things are? Or are they normal? Um, so this is kind of a workplace dynamics jealousy question a little bit. I think that if you are a player who does not get awarded a letter and you really wanted one or you thought you deserved one, I think you get annoyed, but you don't throw a tantrum and you don't storm into Marty's office. But I do think that it does sort of bring up the question, if you are that player, would you go to Marty's office or Kent Hughes's office and say, I really want to be a leader on this team. I noticed that, you know, some other people were selected and I was not. And I'd really like to know how I can improve my game, my locker room demeanor, the way I relate to my teammates, my community behavior. How can I, I also become a leader on this team? Um, I, I think that's fair. I don't think that, you know, getting angry with it, uh, getting angry um, or demanding, um, demanding, an explanation or a, like, you know, trying to complain about how unfair things are. I don't think that's normal. Um, and Megan did in fairness say in her question, or are they normal? Uh, I think that they're probably normal. Like if it hurts your pride a little bit to not be named a captain or an assistant captain, if you thought you might be, um, and you're not upset about it privately, like they're obviously, there's something off there. Like, but if you are trying, if, if you behave like a baby about it, then that's not really leadership. And they made the right decision, not giving you a letter anyway. All right. In our next segment, we're going to talk about uh, a whole bunch of other fun stuff in the mailbag, including some questions that I carried over from last week. Um, and that's all coming up in just one moment here on Locked On Canadians. But first, I got to tell you about Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs is one of our sponsors, and they're awesome. What are they? They are the most comfortable and stylish at the same time shorts or pants that you have owned. I promise you, these are so comfy. It feels like you're wearing pajamas, but guess what? You do not look like you're wearing pajamas. You look styling. This is stuff that you can wear, whether you can wear it, you know, out when you're gardening or helping someone move, or you can also wear them for a night on the town. It's really, really, really well-made stuff that's comfortable, that's stylish, makes you look great. Um, and you really, really want to try these out because you know you're going to look amazing in them. And, you know, usually when you get dressed up, when you look nice, it's not very comfortable. Bird Dogs is the absolute opposite of that. So I wanted, I want you guys to try a pair, not just take my word for it. Go and visit birddogs.com slash LockedOnNHL, or you can use the promo code LockedOnNHL to get a free water bottle with any purchase, and your purchase should be all of those pants, all of those shorts, I promise you. Once again, that's birddogs.com slash LockedOnNHL. You're going to get a free water bottle with any purchase, um, and you will not want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. All right, it's time for segment two. Let's talk more mailbag questions. This comes from good friend of the show, Ryan Lee on Twitter. Um, and um, I'm really, really, really happy with this question because I did not know this. Tanner Pearson mentioned in his introductory press conference that he was Brendan Gallagher's roommate at the World Junior Championships. 
What kind of roommate do you think Gally is? A very messy one? He seems like the kind of guy, especially now that he's a little bit older, probably not in the world junior days, but you never know. He kind of has this, like, he's got, like, this very extremely immature grandpa, like, uh, demeanor going. Because I can totally see him, you know, being extremely messy, uh, probably not respecting curfew, never shutting up, being really annoying, you know, uh, not super comfortable to be around, but also at the same time complaining if you're making too much noise when he's trying to sleep, uh, complaining if you open the curtains before he's ready to see sunlight. That's the kind of roommate I envision Brendan Gallagher to be. He's probably softened up a lot in recent years as he's gotten older. Um, he's probably matured a lot as well. We know he's getting married. Um, he proposed to his PhD candidate girlfriend uh, over the course of this offseason. So maybe he's not like that right now. Maybe it's somebody that, you know, maybe he's turned into somebody that's easier to live with. But I just imagine younger Brendan Gallagher being both a curmudgeonly grandpa and extremely immature boy <laughs> at the same time. So Ryan, I hope that answers your question. Um, and then we've got a couple questions that I'm um, carrying over from last week. Uh, one of them is, uh, this one really hurts my heart. Uh, so thank you for that, Mike. And this is Habs Laughs, good friend of the show. Also, we would like you to come back, please. And his question is, if you have to trade one of Jordan Harris or Arbor Jackeye. Actually, he said Jackeye. He didn't specify which one, but I'm assuming it's Arbor Jackeye. Which one would you trade and why? Um, personally, it depends on when. Uh, if it's now, you're going to get more value for Jackeye. If it's two years from now, you're going to get more value for Jordan Harris. I don't want them to trade either of them. Why can't we keep both? That's my question, Mike. This really, really hurts my heart. Um, there are no expendable defensemen on this team. Speaking of which, uh, Peter C., another good friend of the show, asked us last week, where is Patrick Roy and is there a role with, for him within the Habs organization? Um, that question is, uh, honestly, he's still trying to get back to the NHL. Um, I actually thought the Columbus Blue Jackets might give him a call after they canned Mike Babcock, but as of the time that I'm recording this, I have not heard of any such thing happening. I do think that he does want to come back to coaching. Um, I feel like that's the kind of thing that he would enjoy. He's done coaching. He's done GMing. Uh, he's done getting disgraced. He's done getting fired. <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, he's got a very strong personality, uh, and a role for him within the Habs organization would be really, really interesting. I just, I don't see it other than the ambassador role, right? I'm not necessarily seeing something for him in the front office or coaching section, um, coaching area of the Montreal Canadiens, but I think it'd be really interesting to have him back in the fold. He's somebody who's never been afraid to be weird uh, and to share his opinion and to take some risks. So I think it'd be really interesting to have him be there to challenge, but at the same time, he is unpredictable, I think is a really nice way to put it. So I don't necessarily know that he would have the measured approach that Jeff Gordon is taking and I don't know. I know he'd definitely be bold, but I don't know if he'd be a calculated kind of bold like Kent Hughes does. Like I find that Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, um, they really complement each other and they have a very, very interesting, calm but bold sort of strategy going on. I think it'd be really funny. Also, he would, 
I don't know, like he, if it feels like he would be the one person who would make Martin Saint Louis actually angry, like actively angry. But still, I think it's really interesting. Like, why don't you guys also send us uh, your ideas as to where Patrick Roy would fit in with the Habs organization, other than the ambassador role, the Habs ambassador to the community role. All right. Question two from Peter C., good friend of the show. Is Suzuki better suited as a second-line center? Hence, do the Habs still need to draft or sign a number one center to truly be a cup contender? I think that's an interesting question. I think Nick Suzuki is definitely underrated around the league. Um, And I think that if Nick Suzuki is your second-line center, then you are a really, 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 really good team. At the moment, obviously, he's going to stay on the first line. I don't think that it precludes them from competing if he stays their first line center. I don't think it's the end of the world. If they have a Nick Suzuki level center, you know, first and second line, you're fine. It's usually because your second line center is a huge drop off from the first line. But I'm saying like, if you are like, you still shoot for the fences. Like if you have the ability to draft or sign a number one center, like a true elite superstar level number one center, you do it. Um, But in the absence of that, it's not the end of the world if Nick Suzuki remains that. Uh, And finally, question again from Peter C. With young defensemen aplenty, who is expendable? Uh, I don't think... I mean, people are not going to like my answer, so I'm not going to say it, but you can probably guess who I'm thinking. Um, I think you give them a little bit more time. Uh, to figure it out you never know right like I'm excited to see what Jaden Struble is going to bring to the team I really am very very curious about whether Logan Mayu is living up to the potential you know he had a really rough uh, rookie showcase uh, he's going to need to be better at decision making this is one of the uh, one of the notes on his scouting a long time so I think for now really the defensemen who are expendable are the Chris Weidmans you know they're the the really the depth players that the Canadians have signed to like be placeholders, really. There's a, there's a few of those, but in terms of the people who haven't yet made the team who are still working on it, I don't want to get rid of anybody at the moment. I don't think anyone is ex- expendable other than the number seven defenseman that the Canadians have. I don't even, I also don't want to see, you know, I don't want them to get rid of Kovacevic um, because he was also really great in the role that he played, right? Um, so I'm not seeing one at the moment that I would consider expendable. And finally, for this segment, uh, we've got a question from our good friend, Jeff the Red. What are the top storylines you'll be following closely this preseason? Like I said, I'm very curious to see. I want to see, you know, how all of the players that were injured last year, you know, like all 700 of them uh, come back in this preseason. I want to see, you know, has the recovery progressed? Uh, do they look like they will be able to sustainably play? Uh, I'm curious to see who becomes the goalie, the starting goalie and the backup goalie on opening night. I'm curious to see again, like I said, if Logan Mayu uh, is living up to the potential that everybody thinks he has or people think he has. Uh, I also want to see how Cole Caulfield like, looks after recovering from injury. I that's those are for me the top 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 storylines and then there's some newcomers right like Tanner Pearson you've got Newhook I want to see what they bring to the table I thought Kirby Doc 
in the last preseason showed flashes of how good he was going to become over the course of the season. And then when the season actually started, like he was still kind of making mistakes and things like that in that preseason, but he was showing that he had so much talent. And then as the season progressed, he showed how good he was. So I want to see like, is there a Kirby doc type player um, among the acquisitions here? I'm also interested to see if Owen Beck makes the starting lineup. I think it's a long shot given how many people the Canadians have right now fighting for spots. I just want to see if he makes he makes the NHL night uh, for opening night. I mean, I know he he had his debut last season. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, is he good enough to earn a spot right out of camp? And we will have more mailback questions coming up, including some about Caulfield and Suzuki in just one moment here on Locked On Canadians. All right. We've got so many more mailbag questions. Uh, one of them comes from Tristan T on Twitter. A lot of armchair GMs seem to be putting Raphael Harvey Pinard on the top line with Caulfield and Suzuki. Not to be all size ah, about it, but isn't that trio a bit too slight to be effective? I hate to say it, but I agree. <laughs> uh, you need a big body on that, on that line. It's not the end of the world if you don't get one. If they're too fast for bigger bodies to catch as a whole, and if they're too wily, agile, smart, and offensively creative to be caught, that's one thing. And I'm totally all for that. I just don't think that this is the trio that is able to do that sustainably for a long time. Just not to say I don't have a lot of faith in them. And I do like the idea of pairing talent, but I think you kind of need a big body there. Um, but the question is like, you can't just have size up there. That's it. You can't just, you can't do that. You need somebody with size, but who has the ability to keep up with Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki. I'm not going to be upset if they put uh, Rafael Harvey Pinard there. I think it's going to be interesting and it's going to be fun. I just think that's not a long-term solution, in my opinion. And then we've got another one. <laughs> um, uh, and this is, again, from Tristan T. First, Dvorak was injured and now Weidman is injured. Is this a trend of fan-whipping boys get injured? Oh, if this is a trend of fan-whipping boys getting injured, who is next? So... I kind of want to distinguish between fan whipping boys and people who are un underrated. Um, I think it's going to be Armia. It's definitely, if, if, if we're talking like someone else is going to get injured uh, because uh, by virtue of being a fan whipping boy, we're kind of going to bring an injury on them. It's going to be Armia this season. And it sucks because he's a very nice guy and he's a lovely person. He's just not able to kind of live up to his contract right now. So it looks very much like an albatross. And unfortunately, this season, every mistake he makes, every goal he doesn't score, every time he takes a shift off, there's going to be talk about it. And there's nothing really that he can do or we can do about it. So I want to move on to some questions that are from this week and last week. Uh, we've got a question from Crispy Papa Dums, which what a great name. And now I'm craving them like crazy. Mailback question. What is the strategy for a GM when it comes to dealing a rookie that seemingly doesn't fit in the team's plans because he's losing lackluster and potential? Do you trade him before every other GM and scout knows his potential has dropped? Or how long do you wait? 
With the abundance of prospects we have now and knowing that only a fraction will eventually make the team, I imagine many will go through trade in the course of next year or so. So I think these are two different questions. Um, but you can kind of combine them and see, like, are there rookies that aren't really uh, living up to their potential? Now is the time to trade them before other GMs kind of like clue in. I think you can, it, it's, there's two things about it. There's selling them on the fact that a change of scenery might be the best thing for them. So you want to sell the, the, the future GMs that the problem is not the player. The problem is the context and it's the situation that you put him in. Um, or you just kind of try and fish around uh, to figure out which GM hasn't or their scouts hasn't figured it out. Like, I think the strategy for any GM really would be to try and showcase them as much as possible. Like, if you know a player doesn't belong on your top line with your top center, your top winger, but you think that that's going to inflate their points and really make him look good, that's one thing you can try and do that. But in terms of what strategy you should employ, I think trading them sooner rather than later is probably the best idea. You only really, you run the risk a little bit of this person just exploding later. But sometimes it's a risk that you're willing to live with because the players that you do keep are players that are useful. Um, and so that was, I mean, I feel like I didn't really answer the question, but I mean, in terms of this year, if there are players that you think they won't make, they won't make the team because they're odd men out, they still have their potential right now. They haven't really lost their shine. You go ahead and trade them. If you know they won't be in your plans and you don't want to wait around to see if they're in the next big talent, you know, you're not going to use them. That's totally fine. Just go ahead and trade them as soon as possible before they actually have the opportunity to lose that shine. We've got a question from Randy Lavoie on YouTube. What is up with Shane Wright being eligible to play AHL hockey if he doesn't make Seattle? If so, can Owen Beck go to Laval and why not? So Shane Wright received a special exemption. And there's a lot of talk about whether or not this should pave the way for additional exemptions to be made. I don't think that the OHL would go for that um, because what's stopping everybody from turning pro as soon as they possibly can, if the team like just even gives them a sniff of the pro game. So I don't necessarily know. Um, I don't necessarily know if this is a good idea, but at the same time, if you're thinking about the rights of a player, I feel like they should be eligible to play in the AHL if the teams agree if the leagues agree. So like if your OHL team and your NHL team and your AHL team are all in agreement, but again, that's not something that I really have been able to think about. Um, not think about, that's not something that I have spent a lot of time researching and the consequences of it, but uh, I do know it's a special exemption. So, and I also know that some people are upset and they want special exemption for other players as well, or they think that any players should get a special exemption. Whereas it's not like, you know, the guys like Shane Wright. Uh, we've got a question from Alex T. Nail that question. Rule clarification. If a team traded a player while retaining a portion of that player's salary, can they buy back that portion of the contract? Basically, could the Hams buy back their portion of, portion of Petrie's contract? Also, what would happen to the Pens and the Habs portion of Petrie's contract if Detroit wants to buy back Petrie's contract? So if you are a player, um, you traded... 
a player and you retain a portion of that salary or another team retains salary and you took that player, my understanding is you cannot take on, you cannot buy back that salary. Um, and then in terms of the, um, in terms of the, uh, what, what would happen to Petrie's contract if Detroit wants to buy, buy him out, I think at this point they're paying so little of it that there's no, it's not worth it. To be honest, I tried to figure it out on cap friendly with the buyout calculator, but it broke my brain. Um, so essentially, but it, what I did check was you can't buy back your portion of that contract. So finally, no, we've got two more mailback questions. One is from Claude S. Are there any rules preventing the Habs from asking Carrie to retire and then hire him as a goalie consultant and pay him that $10.5 million a year? Or is it merely unethical? Well, it is unethical. Um, goalie consultants do not make $10 million a year. Um, there aren't really any rules, but there are certain cases where I believe the NHL would try and investigate and make sure this was a true retirement and not just an attempt to circumvent the cap or uh, all of that. Uh, because the difference between Carey Price retiring um, and the Canadians like buying him out or whatever is that Carey Price does not get paid that portion, whatever is left on his contract. And also the Canadians are not on the hook cap-wise. So that would be an advantageous way to kind of get around the fact that Carey Price really needs to retire because we know he's not going to play again. Um, but at the same time, if you look at the way the, the NHL is like looking so closely at LTIR, I'm sure that much like with Shea Weber, he kept having to undergo physicals and prove that he wasn't able to play. Carey Price is going to be the same thing. They're going to prove that he's not able to play. Um, all right. So um, we are, have one final question. We're finally at the end of this episode. Um, and I thank you all for bearing with me this long. And this comes from Adam Yu, a good friend of ours on YouTube. Imagine the Habs have a players-only prom night and they all have teammates as bro dates. All the players try to pair up as couples would. A few can't find dates. Who pairs with whom? Which players are prom king and queen? Who sits with them at the cool table? Who can't find a date? And which players are at the loser table? Who runs the dance floor? Who passes out way too early? Who's the clueless team that complains that the punch tastes funny? And most importantly, which players are most unimpressed with their dates? And who did they really want to go with? And this doesn't have to be about them as lineup combinations, just as people and players. All right. Who can't find dates? They're going bro dates, right? It's very, very obvious from um, all of the... Uh, all of the, you know, off-ice content that the Canadians provide for us, that Brendan Gallagher is really kind of the butt of all the jokes. So I would think it's really, like, I think they would think that it's really funny um, that nobody went with them. Uh, also, I feel like it would be hard for the new guys to kind of find dates. So maybe they pair up with each other. So, you know, um, Tanner Pearson and Alex Newhook, you're up. Uh, you are bro dates. Here's a tough one, because I feel like Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield absolutely go together. But then where does that leave Chris Weidman, Cole Caulfield's other BFF? Not Yeah, Chris Weidman. And also Christian Dvorak. Maybe the two Chris's go together. Christian Dvorak and Christian Dvorak uh, and um, Chris Weidman go together. Um, and then which players are prom king and queen? Kirby Doc is very prom king. Uh, prom queen or ooh, Caden Gooley. Caden Gooley is prom king. And Cole Caulfield is prom queen for sure. 
who sits with them at the cool table. Um, I feel like the goalies aren't allowed to sit with the cool table. They have to sit at the lo loser table because they're weird. So who can't find a date? We, we talked about that. Brendan Gallagher. Who's at the cool table? The cool table is Christian Dvorak, Chris Weidman, Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, kind of by virtue. Um, who runs the dance floor? Uh, underrated. You know what? I think quiet and calm Jordan Harris is probably the guy that's running the dance floor secretly. Who passes out way too early? Jake Allen. He's a dad. He's the dad. Who's the coolest team that complains that the punch tastes funny? I don't know if I'd call him clueless, but he's very naive and innocent looking, and that would be Cole Caulfield. And most importantly, which players are most unimpressed with their dates, and who did they really want to go with? I would think that everybody would want to go with Christian Dvorak for whatever reason from all of the like Instagrams and stuff like that. Oh my god, I forgot Josh Anderson. Josh Anderson would be prom king. Oh my god, Josh Anderson, Caden Gooley, there's all these prom kings. Um, and so let's say that uh, Caden Gooley had to go with uh, David Savard. Um, it's not that he's unimpressed with him. It's just that, you know, he sees him all day at work for so many minutes a game. And he probably really wanted to go with someone else. Maybe Lane Hudson. And Lane Hudson, in fact, brought David Reinbacher and it broke Caden Gooley's heart. So this might, that's my Canadian's prom fanfic. And that's it for the mailbag questions for this week and last week. I do apologize again for last week's mailbag, but uh, I will make it up to you by creating a, a, a bonus episode of something weird or funny or quirky for episode 912. In the meantime, I really hope you enjoyed this one. As always, if you ever want to send us mailbag questions, lockdowncanadians at gmail.com. That's your best bet. Um, and then you can find us anywhere on social media. I'm at the active stick. Uh, the podcast is at LO underscore Canadians. We're not fully on everywhere yet, but we are working on it. Um, and uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. If we hit 3000 sub subscribers before puck drop on opening night, Scott will eat something terrible or gross or horrifying um, on a video. We've got multiple bonus live episodes coming up in the next few weeks. So please make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. Tell your friends, leave us reviews and engage with us so that people will find us if you want other people to find us. In the meantime, we will be talking to you on Monday.